return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Presence, the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of your word, alive and powerful and sharper than any edged sword. Thank you that you're the healing God. And you're in our midst this morning, Lord, as the healing God. Praise you, praise you, praise you, Jesus. I thank you that even as your word goes forth, it goes forth with healing, it goes forth with power, and it cannot return void. The very words of the Lord are full of life and full of spirit, and you sent your word and healed them. So, Lord, we're believing even today that that life, resurrection life, that you dispense into our bodies, that flow of the Holy Spirit is doing its work in us, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Whew. Praises, praises, praises be to God. So we're on um, our fifth session on healing. Last week we did in-depth on the communion. Um, you know, the, the amazing thing is that God has set up this divine delivery system for us to receive from his hand. His provision, his divine provision, this divine substance of resurrection life being imparted into our bodies, into our minds. Um, Everything he did at the cross, he wants us to experience it. 7,700 promises I heard this week. Did you know there's that many in the Bible? 7,700. That's over 7,000. And your name is stamped on every one, hun. Every one. There are possibilities, more than possibilities. God's already done everything on his end. It's just us learning how to receive them, right? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So communion is not a ritual, friends. It can be, but it, it, we have to just change that. It can't become a ritual because it's a living interaction with the living God. We get to partake of the broken body of Jesus. Jesus said, here, take, take, eat, drink, drink the, the, the wine, the juice that represents my blood. And I've been doing that when I think I told you I've been doing it daily since October. You know, sometimes when you take the communion, there's this spectacular change within 24 hours. <clears throat> Has anyone experienced it like that? I, I was just hearing um, recently, this weekend, a testimony of Alzheimer's. One was this spectacular change where this um, lady had her mother who had Alzheimer's advanced to the point where she didn't know, she didn't recognize people's names, didn't know their faces. And so she took communion one time with her mother, and the very next day she woke up and could recognize everybody in the room. I mean, we're talking about spectacular results. But then another, they had another testimony of somebody that had Alzheimer's, 
Well, it, I guess the gentleman had just been diagnosed. And so his wife said, let's, let's start taking communion. And so for them, it was like a four and a half year process. Well, the doctor, I got to finish the testimony. The doctor had said, you just, you're going to have to resign from your job. You're just going to have to get yourself ready because this is the diagnosis. This is the way it's going to be. And usually, as you know, it's a, it's a disease that cannot be reversed, right? So they started taking it daily, and um, it was four and a half years later when they went to see the same doctor, and the scan, he says, I can't believe this is the same person. Complete change, but four and a half years. And I've been taking it, like I said, daily since October. <clears throat> I mean, even my hair I'm struggling with right now because it's different. Like, my conditioner doesn't work anymore the same way. Ah, like, I mean, even my beautician the other day said, your, the, your hair is different. And it is. It used to be so super duper coarse that I needed this extreme conditioner. And now my conditioner, like, ah, it's so soft, I can't do anything with it. So I'm going to have to make some changes. So I know there's healing going on in my liver. There's healing going on with my sleeping and my digestion. And I encourage you all. It's, it's this amazing thing. So, Somebody asked me the other day, well, what do you do when you're taking communion every day? Well, I've set aside 30 minutes where I just say it's just Jesus and me. And I just meditate on the word of God. And sometimes I have to just kind of, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? But sometimes I just know I'm supposed to be reading right here. I hung out a lot at the beginning in John chapter 6. <coughs> so let's just actually look there. And I'm sorry, I already confused you, didn't I, Jeremiah? <clears throat> Let's do the other one. Let's, do you have it open to Acts 2? Okay, I'm going to add these couple little scriptures because I want you to know how obsessed they were in the New Testament. We're going to be hanging out in the old mostly this mo- today, this morning for Sunday school, but I want you to see how obsessed they were in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, which, by the way, is a supernatural book. Have you read it lately? I mean, one divine thing after another, Right? But these guys look at Acts 2.46. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. This is New Living Testament. King James says, breaking of bread. This is 2.46. And they continuing daily with one accord and breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Thank you. You're just so right on the money here. Um, and, you know, people have just figured out, well, they, in their brains, oh, these guys just like to get together and have meals together. No, friends, breaking of bread is specifically referring to the communion. I mean, some of these apostles were the guys who sat right at the table the night that Jesus was betrayed and took the bread and said, this is my body. I mean, they couldn't get enough. Every day they were taking Communion. There's another one, Acts 20, verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. I mean, this is kind of unusual. Here's Paul. I mean, wouldn't you think that'd be taking center stage? Oh, let's listen to Paul. Let's listen to Paul. He's got something to say to us. But the first thing they did was break bread. They wanted to partake of the broken body of Christ because they understood that life was released to them. Healing was released to them. 
And there's another one I didn't give Jeremy in Acts 27.35, which Paul was actually on the ship. Do you remember the whole chapters of 26 and 27 in the big storm at sea? Do you know that? Oh, there it is. How do you do that? And when he had thus spoken, he took bread. I mean, this is on the ship with everybody just about ah, crisis galore, right? Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And he still takes bread and gives thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And I know everybody, a whole lot of people think, oh yeah, well, he just decided they needed some food. Well, it's more than food, friends. It's divine food that really releases the life of Christ in our bodies. So back to John chapter 6. Again, and this I'm just sharing because some people were asking me, what in the world do you meditate on? What scriptures? There's only so many scriptures. Well, actually, there's a whole lot more than you realize. But here's John chapter 6. That begins with the feeding of the 5,000, by the way. And then the Pharisees start hounding Jesus like, well, if you were really from heaven, we'd have manna coming down. And we'd, we'd be able to eat all this food right off the ground. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm the bread. Here he is. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anybody eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And he says it right here. Look at the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. And I think I explained last time how the church has lumped it all together for years and years, that it's the, the, you know, the cup and the bread. It's all for the forgiveness of sins, but that's really not true. The, the blood of Jesus was shed for the breaking of the penalty of sin, for the forgiveness of sin, for the stopping of the curse, but the body of Jesus was given for our healing, specifically for our physical healing. And by given, I mean beaten to a pulp. Where were we at church? Um, I guess that was Minneapolis, and the guy had on the screen, and Steve kept saying, I don't know why they have that picture on the screen. I mean, it was really hard to look at, the Passion of the Christ. Did anybody see that? I mean, it was difficult to watch. But that was all for our healing, friends. Every single thing that Jesus went through. Jesus called uh, healing the children's bread. I shared that scripture with you last time. Well, actually, let's look at it again, can we? Because this is just so powerful. And I, I mean, all of a sudden it's coming into my spirit, this thing about how much bread do you eat. Well, at church here we have these tiny little crackers. I mean, if it helps you, get a big piece of bread. Chew on it. I mean, picture the chewing. Picture the mass, uh, what's the right word, the masticulating? There you go. I mean, that exemplifies the beating of Jesus, the ripping of his flesh. Matthew chapter 15, verse 24 through 28. This is when the lady who was a Gentile came to Jesus. The disciples said, ignore her, just send her away. And 
for a while, Jesus did ignore her. But she continued to worship Jesus and asked for help for her daughter who was having an extreme problem. In fact, uh, oh goodness, my, my heart is just bursting this morning, sorry. I don't know where to go. Um, well, let's continue here. He answered and he said, I am not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, his first mission was to the sheep, to the people of Israel. But this woman came and she worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. And he said something that she could have taken a lot of offense at. It's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. You'd think she would have walked away right then. Like, what in the world? I can't believe you said that to me. She'd make a big Facebook post, right? I was offended. Her answer, you're right, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. All it takes is a crumb. That's why, yes, that tiny little cracker we sometimes take at church, it's enough. Or the big piece of bread, if that increases your faith, if you can see every piece of the body of Christ entering your body, going to your liver, going to your digestive system, going into your legs, taking away that pain here and that other pain there. Every time you take, friend, you want to be saying, I'm increasing in health. A little bit more healing is going on. Or believe for the spectacular. Yeah, if you've got a Mark 11, 24 faith, believe for it, friend. Yeah. And Jesus said to her, oh woman, great is your faith. I mean, that was great faith. But basically, he's calling healing the children's bread. David in Psalm 103, he's spelling out the benefits. Pastor Dave did a wonderful sermon here years ago, the, the benefit package. Ours as children of Christ, right? In Christ, children of the Father. Psalm 103, can you find it for us? All right, so he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord who forgives all my iniquities. Now, every one of us have complete faith in that statement, right? My every sin is washed away. All the guilt, all the pain, under the blood, under the cross. But his very next statement is, verse 2. Well, how about verse (laughs) 3? Okay, he lists it absolutely in the same verse. He forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. You can put your name in that. My every disease has been healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness. There's the favor that comes with the inheritance. And we got favor, we got provision, complete provision. We got everything we could possibly want and need. The new covenant is not less than the old, friends. And that's what David is spelling out here. The old covenant included healing. It included deliverance, included provision and favor. And I'm telling you, we have it in Jesus. So, oh my goodness, it's quarter after already. 
So I want to get to another Old Testament passage today, which, according to Bible hermeneutics, um, this would be considered the most important of all the Old Testament foreshadowing. And we've already talked about the Passover. And you know how important that is in the foreshadowing of the blood upon the doorpost and the eating of the roasted lamb. Well, this one, because it's the first mention of the elements of communion in the entire Bible, it is considered the most important because it's the most complete, it's the most accurate, it's the most, um, it's the key way to understand a concept that's introduced into the Bible. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 14. This is the first time ever in the Word of God that the elements of communion show up. And so let's just kind of look at it. And you have to begin the year and think, ah, this is a little weird. So we have Abram still with his old name, A-B-R-A-M. And uh, he and his nephew Lot are hanging out in the land of Canaan now. And they've been so prospered and so blessed that they've had to split and Abram gave Lot first choice. You'd think Abram, Lot would have been a little smarter, but he said, sure, I'll take the best looking land. So he takes the nice green lush land. He doesn't want to live in the green stuff. So he moves into the city of Sodom and Abraham is living in his tent. They're both prospering in a big way. And there's all these other cities around them. In those days, there was a king for every city. So we see there's war that's broken out in the region. There's this king of Babylonia, the king of Elisar, the king Kedarlamer. He's the big guy, by the way. And king Tidal. And they all decided to have a war against these other five kings. King Bera, you'll have to remember his name from Sodom, because <clears throat> he shows up at the end. And the king of Gomorrah and these other kings. So let's go on to the next verse. I think I put... The second group of kings joined forces in the Siddim Valley, which is Valley of the Dead Sea. For 12 years, they'd all been subject to King Keterlamer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled, said, this is enough. We're not going to be under your oppression anymore. So let's go on. I think we're in verse, what, 10? As it happened now, the Valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. So as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled... Things weren't going well for them in the battle, so they're running. They fall into these tar pits, while the rest all escaped into the mountains. <clears throat> the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. So they also happened to capture Lot, who is Abram's nephew who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. Next verse. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, however you say it. Verse 14, when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized 318 trained men. And I don't think this was an overnight thing. I think he already had an army and I think he already had them trained and uh, they'd all been born in his household. So then he, Abram and his 300 guys, are pursuing Keterlamer's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men, attacked during the night. Keterlamer's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods. Goodness. 
He recovered all the goods, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and all the other captives. Victorious campaign. And uh, he's not a real young guy, but he's obviously got some wisdom, some strategies, some strong men on his side. And I believe that God was probably fighting on his side, right? He tends to do that for his people. Verse 17, after Abram returned from his victory. He might be a little bit weary. Looks like it was an all-nighter, right? He might be high from the, the victory, but he might be exhausted too. He returns from his victory and the king of Sodom. And just so you know, that guy's name was Bera. And Bera means son of the evil one. They're meeting in this valley. Notice I should have read the rest of the sentence. Went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, which is the king's valley, which means it's part of the Kidron Valley, which means darkness. So we have this dark valley. Yes, he just had this victory, but there's darkness. Here's this evil one. It's a little bit like Esther at the table with her king and Haman, the wicked guy who's plotting her death right beside her. But she's able, remember Esther, she could focus on her king. And that's what's going on here now. Melchizedek shows up. You know anything about Melchizedek? The verse in Hebrews chapter 7 says he is a foreshadowing of a type of Christ himself. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. No father, no mother, no genealogy. So he couldn't have been an Israelite priest. Just so you know, a whole lot of the scholars think that this was actually a Christophany. That Christ himself appeared to Abraham in this dark valley. At this point. So can we go back to Genesis chapter 14 here? Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ. The king of Salem, I guess we would all say, but you know what it says in strong skin accordance. It's pronounced Shalem, which is from the root word Shalom. Shalom, friend. We're talking about this divine word. Jesus Christ himself, king of peace, king of provision, king of wholeness, king of healing and intactness and harmony of every kind, he's the one who shows up here alongside the wicked guy in this dark valley. And what does he show up with? He brings Abraham some bread and some wine. So this is extremely significant, friends. Now, Kesedek blessed Abraham with this blessing, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Praise God. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Now, that's another whole sermon. To respond like this with a tenth, a tithe of everything? This is before the law, friends. Wow. The king of Sodom is still there trying to make a deal. The enemy is always trying to make compromises with you. Always trying to water down what God says. 
He said, hey, give me back my people. You can keep all the stuff. And Abraham replies really simply with, no deal. Nope, it's not going to happen. So, what in the world are we supposed to learn from all this? I, I still want you to think a little harder, get this picture in your mind of this darkness, this valley. I don't know, have you ever come out of a battle against evil? In a, a, a sickness, a disease, a, a, a battle of some kind, light against darkness? And you came out victorious, but you're exhausted. Or maybe you didn't come out victorious. Maybe you're still in the fight. But you must see Christ coming with these elements. You know what happens in our communion time is, well, there's four ways that you can approach communion, friends. You can approach it as... As a fear thing, and I've shared with that about that last time, that, you know, because there was all this preaching like, don't take communion if you're angry. Don't take communion if there's sin in your life. You better be really careful. You better rack your brain now if you did this or said this. And people actually end up avoiding communion because, like, there's this big fear thing, like, because First Corinthians 11 mentions many Christians being sick and weak and dying early. But they aren't dying early and being weak and sick because they took the communion. It's because they didn't discern the power of the Lord's body in the process. We can approach the communion with fear and worry, extremely sin conscious, instead of being Christ conscious. I mean, honestly, think about it. When you're taking communion, what are you most aware of? Are you most aware of your sin and your bad things and your corrupt nature? Or are you most aware of Christ and what he did? We are experiencing, we're supposed to experience this living interaction with the Almighty God. We can also come to the communion table as a slave, like with this mentality, well, this is something I need to do. This is a ritual that's expected of me. We can come as a servant, a very dutiful servant, who's trying their best to satisfy God's requirement. That's another teaching that's going on a lot in the body of Christ right now, is if you'll do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, oh, maybe finally you'll get that healing. It doesn't work like that, friends. It's already been done. It's already got your name stamped on it. First Corinthians, isn't it? Chapter 1. All the promises of God are stamped, yes, in Christ. The fourth way we can approach communion is like Abram did, friends. Instead of it being something I do, how about it become something I receive? Who came with the bread and the wine? Was it Abram bringing it to Christ? Was it Abraham picking it up and saying, okay, well, no. I mean, Jesus came with the elements and served it. Can't you just hear Melchizedek, Christ, saying to him, take, eat. This is for your refreshment. This is for your physical well-being. This is to nourish you. Hmm, 
Those words, take, eat, where have we heard that before? Do you have that scripture there? Matthew chapter 26. When the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. This is Jesus and the disciples the night before he was crucified. Can we go to the next verse? Is that all I gave you? No, sorry. Um, Matthew chapter 26. This is where Jesus said, broke bread in front of them. Okay, keep going. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. The passage in Luke, he says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. What I want to encourage you to do is when you take communion, see Christ handing it to you, taking here. Here's my body. It was broken. It was shredded. They, they couldn't even recognize him, friends, on the cross. Take and eat, said Jesus. I dare you to approach the table with confidence in his finished work and not yours. I mean, it's so easy today. This is something I got to do. No. Let's, it's a joyous moment. It's a holy time where I get to interact with the holy God and receive resurrection life into my body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So partake of his healing. Partake of his wholeness. And declare and announce, I'm made whole by the broken body of Jesus. Father, thank you for this divine encounter that you've set up for us, that we can receive from the hand of Christ himself, even in the point of darkness, even in the point of exhaustion, and that you release your strength to us, you release your life to us, you release to us your healing power. And Lord, thank you that we're going to move from just wanting healing from this and then healing from that and then healing from that to walking in divine health because, Lord, that's your full intention for us. Thank you for what you're doing amongst your people. The marvelous healing reports we're going to hear. A marvelous divine health that we're going to start walking in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife at brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., Also, Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.